Buddies. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioan Show. Thank you for the Outstanding Ohio Show. Hosted by my daddy. Hosted by my daddy. Hello. Thank you, Ryan and Sawyer, for that wonderful introduction. This is indeed the Outstanding Ohioan Show, and this is episode 54. Kind of a little different twist on this episode today. Uh, in this episode, I'm being interviewed by one of my staff teammates at the Miami University Rec Center, Angus McLeod, and we talked about a whole smorgasbord of topics related to leadership and personal philosophy and talking about the recreation industry. Knowing the conversations that Angus and I typically have, as we got right before we got started, I said, Angus, I'm going to record this and see if this would be a good podcast episode. And he agreed to do that, and we quickly, through our conversation, discovered that it was going to be a, a neat podcast episode. Again, something different than what we've done in the past, but one that I hope adds some value for you. Thank you for listening, and have a great day. More introductions. Um, for the sake of us, but I will say them in case you post it on your, your podcast. My name is Angus McLeod. I am a senior here at Miami. Um, I study accounting, and this is for my entrepreneurship class, uh, New Ventures in Creation. Um, and what it is is we're just kind of going around uh, trying to get a feel for what you do on a daily basis, not only with your personal life, but in your job. Um, and we're trying to get a diverse range of people. Um, so with that, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Ron Silico and I'm the Senior Director of Recreation Facilities at Miami University. You and I have had the pleasure for, of working together. For, this is our fourth year now and, and that's been a treat. You're obviously one of the best we have and in the student manager role and it's been a real treat and you really help us develop a strong leadership and culture uh, for our team at the rec. Did I cover that? Yeah. That's okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So then one other thing, what is your age? Well, right now I'm 41, 41. but in about eight days I will be 42. So very close. Very close to 42. I'm glad I got that information out of you because now I know. <laughs> I will accept birthday presents. Good, good. Thank you. But you're under no obligation. It'll be a protein bar or a sample maybe from Tara. <laughs> Great. Stealing swag. Yeah. All right. And you're, you're married and you have two kids. Yes. How old are, are your kids? Well, the youngest will be four next Tuesday and the oldest will be six in November. Yeah, so how's having uh, kids going? It's the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Has um, Sawyer started school yet? Sawyer's in preschool. Ryan just started kindergarten. So that, that was tough. <laughs> oh, geez. So does Sawyer need any sort of daycare or but anything like that? When you that? met my kids for the first time, well, Sawyer may not have even been born yet or was uh, just born. Sawyer was born in my time here at the rec. Yeah. Um, he had just right. just been born and you brought him in. Yeah. Because um, I was, I, yeah. I took parental leave right after you started. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then um, Ryan, Ryan was a small, yeah. small toddler. Yeah, he wasn't even two when yeah. he started. And he would walk around here and just run around, grab balls out from behind the, 
Well, and they still do that, they still, as you know. <laughs> Sawyer, Sawyer, Ryan will look at you and like, hey, so I'll check him out. And then um, Sawyer will just run and grab him. That's cute. Okay, so tell, take me through a, a typical Ron Silico day. Yeah. It's interesting, and so over time, and, and I don't think it's unusual as people progress in their career to have roles that shift. When I started in Miami in 1997, my my job was a leadership role, but I was also very much in the front lines, side by side, working with students, serving customers, officiating intramural sports, work, working working the front counter, running events. Over time, my my focus has shifted to more big picture administrative. Oddly enough, I spend most of my time these days talk, talking to our, the full-time staff, to be sure, but I spend a lot of time talking to other university staff across campus. In a facility role like I have, there's so many people that we rely on for whether it's it's servicing our outdoor fields, our indoor facilities, and just in some cases sharing those facilities with other people. So my job over time, my job's always been relational, but now it's trying to get, trying to develop resources and develop partnerships with people across campus. So our recreation staff, and, and, and you included, have the tools that you need to be successful. As you know, I don't work directly with you in a lot of cases, but I'm here as an advisor or to have discussions if we need that. Uh, but it's it, by and large, you bring issues that you're having to me or good things that you're, you're giving me. In, in short, you're giving feedback about things that you're you're seeing, things that you're observing from the customers, things that you're observing from our staff. And my job in this leadership role is to not only get those resources and develop those partnerships, but also to help see how we can implement those kind of suggestions into the big picture. What do we need to change? Because bottom line, our industry, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it, is always shifting. There's always new demands. We have to be adaptable to that, and really the best ideas that we've ever had in recreation, a majority of them have come from the staff in the front lines or the customers bringing suggestions to us that we're able to implement and move forward. Um, what would you say is your biggest challenge on a day-to-day -day basis working your job? The greatest part about my job is working with people, and the toughest job part of my my job is working with people. And it could sometimes, in, in some cases, it could be the same person day to day, just having areas of conflict or areas of opportunity. Uh, but it's but it's also just trying when you're when you're spread out as we are and trying to develop those connections and those partnerships and relying on people to, to do things that. That creates great opportunities for success, but it also does create challenges. In all of it, communication is a centerpiece to that. You're well aware that we just opened a new fitness center on the other side of campus. So 
for someone whose home base is 15 minutes away from that, there's just getting out and seeing it, just making sure the staff there can have everything they need to operate it. There's been there's been some challenges, whether it was contractor delays or or just getting logistics ready on campus because of the late of the late summer rush and now the beginning of the semester rush, trying to get everything ready in in a good manner for students. Sometimes projects get prioritized, sometimes projects move up, sometimes they move down, and just trying to work through all that and then communicate. That that's that's always been the no matter how good at it you are at it, it's always gonna be your biggest challenge because people receive communication in different ways. They whether it's some like email, some like it face to face, some like it over the phone, some and it's not just the motive, it's not the method of delivery, but it's the motive of two. Some you have to really know your audience, and I think the best leaders really have a knack for individualizing the communication when they can to fit their audience. I think it's important as a leader to know some some people don't like hearing things directly. You have to. Some people want to know the reasons why, and some people just want to say. Some people say, "Just tell me what you need to do, and we'll, and I'll do it." You, as a leader, the best leaders know how to really individualize that and personalize it as much as they can. They also think about that even in their mass communications that are sent out. They think about okay, if someone is reading this that is in one camp of receiving information, I can put the message this way. Another another camp, I need to try and tailor this mess the message this way. So it's so important to try and individualize that even when you're doing a mass communication, just to try and get as much understanding as possible. I always, I always like to talk about out, or what our out, desired outcome or outcomes are going to be, what the expectations we have, and then how we're going to accomplish that, and then just trying to personalize it within that framework. If you're sending out um, a mass communication, and you're trying to tailor it to, you know, four, five, six more different groups or people. How long does that take you? And, like, how particular of a process is that for you? It, the time, I try and do it in as much time as I need. And what I mean by that is sometimes there's a deadline where I've got, because of the urgency of it, let's say I've got, as an example, ten minutes to get it out. Well, I'm going to take the 10 minutes to, to craft it the best I can. And I'm probably going to acknowledge in that communication that this was, a, this was somewhat rushed. So if there's any need for clarification or confusion, please contact me so I can work through that. If it's a, if it's a situation where I've got more time, I, I really want to be intentional about thinking through that. And... I think if you if you rush that mass communication and don't intentionally think about trying to get in people's heads and, and think and try and guess at how they're going to perceive that communication and how they're going to receive it, you can really struggle with that. I remember a great quote by Dwight Eisenhower talking about 
leadership as a general, he thought one of the greatest arts was being able to get into the head of the opposing general and know what they were going to think and how they were going to either attack or retreat or what their mindset was with their troops. And he, he considered that the greatest art of being a, a great general was being able to, to do that. And, and I don't think it's any different in a leadership role. Is you're trying to anticipate as much as possible the questions people have, the issues that might be raised, and, and try and address them proactively. Being fully cognizant, and I'm guilty of this as myself, I, I know sometimes people don't read the entire scope of an email or a mass communication or a memo or whatever the case might be. And that's, that's awfully hard to, and I'm sure you've learned about this in your business classes because I know you're an attentive student and have a passion for it. You have, even in an email, you talk about executive summary. You try and summarize things on the front end. You put more of the detail in the body, and then you kind of have a wrap-up. Uh, to conclude it. So I don't think emails or mass communications are any different in that regard. And really, I don't, when I'm addressing small groups or bigger groups, I'm pretty consistent with that theme. I have a mental template in my head of, of what I want to do, whether it's written or verbal communication. Going um, along with everything that you said, mm -hmm. uh, you talked about how it's a lot to manage sometimes. Uh, how do you manage your time so effectively? Yeah. I think I'm better at it than I was 10, 15 years ago. I think I'm better at it than I was 10 months ago. Um, some of it's, some of it's directive driven. We all have bosses of some sort and sometimes your boss's directives, if it's got a time sensitivity to it, that has to leapfrog other things and, and you just do it. One of the first questions I ask in a leadership role, anything that comes across, and I, and I don't mean to sound like I don't do anything with this question, but, but it, in some cases, the first question I always ask is, who can? is there anyone I can give this assignment to? That's the first question I ask. And if it's some if it's something that I can, I, I start thinking about who can I give that to. Again, knowing your people and the talents that they have is so important. You know that I've brought things to you before directly. There's some things I haven't brought to you before, and that's based on roles, that's based on talents, that's based on um, what are, what people's jobs are, but that's one way I look at it. An overlooked part of that, when you're in delegation, and I know you've learned about this in school, delegation, you need to do it as a leader. That's It's a way to empower. It's a way to get things done. I look at it as an, I look at it as through an additional lens is one of my mantras in leadership is if I got hit by a bus. And what I mean by that is if I got hit by a bus walking out of the office today, have I shared enough institutional personal knowledge with people that they could carry on my role and, and things would still run smoothly? The best leaders can step away and things still run smoothly. 
the leaders that micromanage or don't delegate or control everything, when they leave, it's almost a catastrophe. Things slow down, things get bogged down, they, things don't get done, people are unsure of what needs to happen. And I don't want to do that. My mindset is always, I always ask that question, who can I give this to? And it may not just be, it's not, it may not just be to get it off my plate. I may be envisioning that some, that person as someone who may be taking this on as a future, in a future leadership way. At some time. Or I might just want them to have an awareness of it because it affects them directly. And I expect that they'll be around for a while and I want them to have that knowledge. So that's the first question I ask. The next question that I ask is, just who can who, does this assignment or will this assignment upon completion serve people in, in the most effective manner possible? Uh, if it's something, I, I have no great talent in the IT area, but for some reason I've been delegated as our IT person, uh, which basically means I call and beg for help. But if it's an IT problem that is affecting every person that tries to come into the facility, that becomes a priority. So I think you just have to weigh those out. What I've really tried to be very intentional about is centralizing my assignments that need to get done. And if you look to your right, these are the big projects I'm working on right now. Those don't those don't all start up on I have a daily journal that I, that I keep where I'm trying to write things down. Uh, but that's the eventual place I transfer big projects. And, and it's a very fluid thing. Things get added, things get subtracted. But you need to have a centralized location. I think I've seen people struggle when they don't have a centralized location. They write it on every scrap of piece of paper that they have handy at the time or they put it in their device. And because it's not centralized, they end up forgetting about it or they just don't have an organization process with it. And it, it could get overlooked at some time. Email's the same thing. It, so whether I receive it right by writing notes or by someone telling me something, I write it, I, I really try to be intentional about writing it on that daily journal and then putting it up on my board. And that's... That's really what I'll do. And I'll shift things around. Right now, I've got things in it. They're, they're numbered, but that's not a chronological order, per um, se. I was going to ask, do the numbers have anything to do with priority? They, they don't. Uh, and a lot of time, this doesn't happen a whole lot, but if I've got a block of time where I don't have a meeting scheduled and I really am not doing anything, I look at that list and... I just peruse it and say, okay, what's what's the next one that needs to happen? It also helps me as a reminder when I plot out my my work day each day. I try not to be specific with times because I, I found that that doesn't work. I, I, what I try and do instead is, assign, is just have open blocks of time where I can work on projects uh, because sometimes things come up. Sometimes they get done faster than I thought. Sometimes they don't, but... Uh, that's that's my reference sheet, and, and again, they're not in any particular order. But and I think in a way that helps me because I think you could get in the habit if you have things in a priority order, you may not read the entire list. 
And sometimes priorities shift. Sometimes dynamics have changed. Sometimes customer requests have changed. Sometimes needs have changed. But the fact that I've got just a general list of things up there and I look at each one of them, that helps me develop what the priority is. I know when I wrote this up here, this one, three weeks ago, that wasn't a priority, but the fact that we're opening it next week uh, for customers, that's become a priority. And as a consequence, I've made three phone calls in the last two days about it. So that that's my rationale for not why I try not to put it in a, in a priority order per se. I know I really like that. That did. Yeah. Uh, shifting gears a little bit. Sure. What is your biggest pet peeve? Pet peeve? About what? It could be about I've got lots of pet peeves. Okay, we'll, we'll, go, we'll, we'll say two. What's your, your biggest pet peeve at work? Working with other people. Hmm. That's a great question. I would say a lack of ownership bothers me. People blaming others bothers me. I would say those are those are two really big ones. Yeah, they those those get me out of sorts. You've said a lot about that, even in um, your 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 talk that you came Mm -hmm. downstairs to the lead staff. That was one of the the things you talked about, and then you also talked about that. um, I believe even a little bit at our fraternity meeting uh, with the when you were talking about the the ten seventy twenty rule that definitely came up in some way or another. At least the general theme of it. And then I guess the the other pet peeve, mm-hmm. if we go, let's say, these are just, I'm just curious, mm-hmm. they don't really have anything to do with um, your professional skills, yeah. um, but let's say if you're you're outside of work and mm-hmm. you're at Harris Dining Hall, what is your biggest pet peeve when you're over there for lunch? My biggest pet peeve? <laughs> at the dining hall. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I would add a third pet peeve to the two I gave you. <laughs> and, uh, we'll skip that one. And and it's not it's 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 not just specific to your question, but in general is if I've got a perception of lack of engagement. From from a staff perspective, that really grinds me, and and I know I'm guilty. I'm an introvert, so I've been perceived as as that way too. And just to me, lack of engagement shows apathy. And I remember seeing a YouTube clip of Ohio State football coach Woody Hayes giving a lecture to his team and he was talking about app he was he was teaching them he was reading a book called word power to his football players because he was trying to he was really a strong believer in developing vocabulary and in verbal communication and one of the words he was talking about was apathy and he told his players to stay away from it like the 
stay away from people that had apathy like the plague because all they will do is is bring you down and I, I think connected with that is just I, th I really believe in a customer service role you, you need to be engaged with people and just look present not look like you're distracted or not look like you're just kicking back and not caring all, all those bother me a great deal and You know, even tied to that, and I'm not saying this happened specifically related to your question, because I've seen staff do it everywhere in our building. There's a tra piece of trash on the floor, and our staff will just walk right by it. Maybe they saw it, and maybe they didn't. But if they saw it, and they kept walking, and I always assume people see it, um, especially if, it's, if, it, if it contrasts with the floor or whatever the case might be and really sticks out. If I look, if I see someone look at it and they just don't think it's their job and they don't pick it up, boy, that that bothers me a I can lot. See that being your pet peeve, yeah. the the phrase that would grind Ron's gears. That's not my job. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because it is our because the customer's perspective, and, and we've all we're all customers in in other parts of our life. We hate when we get bureaucrated out. Yes, I use bureaucrated as a verb. We hate that. Well, that's not my job or I need to talk to so-and-so. And I understand we have procedures and sometimes you have to do those things, but no one likes it. You should avoid that. If you can do anything to avoid being bureaucrated or bureaucrat the customers, do it. Because it just, it doesn't make anyone happy about it. I, I know I've had questions where people ask people ask me about their bursar bill. I try and answer it as much as I can, and then I direct them and I walk them over to the building if I need to. It's it's just I, I hate I hate being bureaucratic, and and I hate when other staff do it. And if I had a foundational thing that I always think about is trying to get trying to train staff as much as possible so they don't have to bureaucrat people. Have you ever heard bureaucrat be used as a verb before? No, I have not. Yeah, I haven't either, but maybe we could start a trend. I really, I th I'm like, he's going to post this podcast now. <laughs> he's got this word, and if he doesn't post this one, yeah. he's writing his next one about yeah, this. I'm being bureaucrat. I've used bureaucrat as a verb. Yeah. My English teachers are probably rolling their eyes right now. In their head, maybe. Yes. Right. Well, I think I have a really good feel. Um, for everything that I need from this interview. Do you have any questions? I thought you were going to ask me about trends in the industry. I can ask you that. Do you Please, have... go. What uh, What do you see in the future of recreation, not only at Miami, but across recreation field? Yeah. It's different because, first of all, the populations you serve are so radically different. A city parks and rec department is very, serves people perhaps differently than different clientele than we do. Um, demographic, demographics are a lot of it. Um, I, I think what recreation needs to really do, and you know I'm a libertarian, and that's odd for someone that works at a state university to say that. Uh, I, I think people need to look at recreation and land conservation, not just to do it through tax dollars, but to really 
really think about it from a business approach and a customer service approach and find partners that can help you do it privately. I mean, the reality is resources are shrinking. The other argument I would say is research has shown that tax dollars that get put into parks and recreation, the investment is generally a lot better off than in other social programs. But I say that being a recreation professional, but I think, I think there's going to be a challenge. There's such an opportunity for partnerships and engagement, but here's the reality. And these statistics, whether the numbers, the numbers aren't important, but our country is getting fatter. Uh, people are more lethargic. People are having more health-related issues. The cost of health care, uh, Obamacare, is not reduced cost. Uh, the free market's the only thing that can do that, and that's not happening. People need to, uh, I mentioned ownership before, people need to take ownership of their health and their wellness. And I believe I'm in an industry that supports that and promotes that. And while I want people to come into our building and, and take part in our facilities and our programs, I just want them doing something. Whether they're out for a hike or just walking their dogs or just doing yard work, I don't care. what. I'm all about movement. I just want to see people moving and eating somewhat healthy. And that's... It's a challenge, and it's the greatest opportunity our industry has is, is to help people do that. I know there's chronic health things, and I know people have unfortunate circumstances. I'm not talking about those situations. I'm talking about the diseases that are preventable or, or the diseases that come about much quicker than they need to because people aren't taking care of this. those are the things I'm talking about. Yeah. The things that can be prevented. And we have such an opportunity body emotion stays in motion. Yes, to do that. And you and I are having this discussion and we're doing it in the one of the most unhealthy ways possible. We're sitting here. People need to just get and move around. Sitting is bad. And it's neat to see people have, starting to have the standing desk, people walking around more. It, it, again, it's not that sitting doesn't have its place, but if you're doing it a lot of your day, you're not going to be a healthy person. You're just not. You could you could do exercises, but you need to get up and you need to move around. And we we as an industry need to embrace thinking about how to do that. We need to we need to embrace working with people who make equipment and, and making working with people who are our customers and, and even having, having a mindset of coaching people that, okay, even if you're not in our facility, I'm still reaching out to you to see if you're getting movement in your life. And we just, it, it's such a neat thing that we get to be involved with. And it, it's, it is the greatest satisfaction I have in my job is just seeing people out and about working out. As you know, we're a university rec center, but we've got a large we've got a large population, about two to three thousand non-student members. And you get to see them every day. And 
I know we have the occasional complainers, but by and large, the people that we get to see, they're positive, they have high energy, and they love coming in here. And, and it's neat. And you've heard you've heard their story so many times about why well, I used to be 50 pounds overweight, and I just decided to change my life, and I love. And just because of a certain staff person here, I was able to. They encouraged me, and they cha- and I was able to change my life, and they helped me do that, and just. Just by having the support and the belief. Those are such neat stories to hear. The media focuses on negative stories so much. Uh, People complain a lot. Uh, We're in an environment where we don't hear a lot of that. In fact, as you know, the biggest complaint we have is that we don't have enough space and we don't have enough equipment and we don't have enough uh, programs for this and for that. While that's a problem that we're trying to solve, I'd rather have that problem than no one being in here and and people not valuing what we do. Yeah. Uh, so, been, so we have those challenges. I've been to, um, not going to name university names, but I've been to some large universities where you walk in and the rec is empty at 6 a.m. or 6.30. And it's because the rec is so big. And one of the greatest things about our rec is is that it is compact. Mm -hmm. You will not see a large open space where nothing is happening because our rec is so filled with Mm -hmm. movement that it is at capacity. You know, like we don't, sure we don't have all the open space that people are looking for. But we also have that like wonderful environment where everybody is Mm -hmm. utilizing our space. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's cool. And I and I take no credit for this because we've got a we've got a lot of staff members who are very entrepreneurial. As one as a leader, I have three things that I focus on. So if you talk to any of my direct reports, they I would hope because I, I talk about it quite a bit. They might not know it exactly, but they could probably paraphrase. I've got three things that I look at when I'm looking at any operation that we oversee. Number one is culture. Do we have a positive culture that's getting things done in in an honorable way, in service to each other? The second one I look at is resource allocation. It's just we don't have an unlimited pool of money. We don't have an unlimited pool of time. We don't have an unlimited pool of staffing resources and time and talents. So we need to do a great job managing our resources and allocating them in the best manner possible. And the third one is driving traffic into our facility. Uh, you, you know, and I can tell you it wasn't the case 10 years ago, we've made great inroads in the senior population. And, and, and that whole thing came about because we were asking the question, okay, students are in class from 8 in the morning until noon. How can we get people in the facility? Well, we started doing research, going to conferences. We always have gone to conferences, uh, but just seeing, just keeping our eyes and ears open. Well, senior pop, working with the senior population. We developed a partnership through the Silver Sneakers program to drive, and now we've got 800 people signed up for that, and, and it's busy in the morning. Uh, the other thing we did is we started doing more from the academic class standpoint, offering academic physical activity classes. So doing those two things, 
while our, the number of our of users in, coming into our facility hasn't really changed in my time here, it has spread out throughout the day that they use a lot more, which which I think is good because even in the evening now when people that didn't have the opportunity to come in early in the day come in, the facility is not as less is perhaps less crowded because the active people did have the chance to come in earlier. So. Um, when you build facilities, you have to drive traffic to them, and if you're not doing that, it's it's just not going to be perceived in a positive way. And 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 you know this from your from your business classes. When you build a business, a brick and mortar business, the building's there whether you're using it or not. So as a business owner, you have to drive either high-paying traffic in very strategically or if you if that's not your business model you've got a you if you you're i mean we're a subscription model that's what we are people are paying for unlimited access so it's a subscription model we have to drive we have to do things that are driving traffic into our facility as much as possible and those those are the three lenses i look at and and our staff our, our staff by and large buy into that too and they're always looking we're we're looking for every opportunity okay we've got a two-hour time block here that's not heavily used is there anything we could do to bring people in here and 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 we just have to continue to to approach those kind of things our challenges are now someone can just even watch a youtube video and exercise at home people working out at home and the way we can combat that is what I call having, whether you call them neighborhoods or small niche groups or small, just small groups. What I, what I find really neat about our facility is you'll have the same group of people doing the same thing and they just develop, they've developed friendships. When you, when you have the chance to develop those kind of mini communities, uh, with within your program, that's the way you can combat it, and then you just have to try and grow and expand those and 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 find new niche things. One of the most niche communities we serve, uh, and we only do it from a facility and con- counseling standpoint, is we have a Quidditch team on campus. I've never read Harry Potter. I don't understand Harry Potter. I have no desire to learn about Harry Potter, but. We've got a team that wanted to do Quidditch. We we made that happen for them and, and gave them the guidance on how to do that. And, and we work with them very closely. And, and, and they're they're great kids. And that's a that's an example of mini community. Recreation has evolved from strength training, doing group aerobic classes, uh, just people swimming laps and people just playing traditional sports like ba- basketball, baseball, football, volleyball, soccer. Recreation is, is evolving. It, it continues to evolve. People invent new activities all the time. And that's what's so dynamic about recreation is, and again, you know this from your business classes, if you can identify those needs, your next thing is, well, how can I monetize that? Or can we? Or is it something we should even try to? And, and, and those are things we're always looking at. And, and, and sometimes sometimes our greatest successes are we just have open space that the group comes in. We're not monetizing it. They're all 
they're all members and paying for our service. So perhaps in some regard we are, but we're, the fact people are just coming in to play pickleball, right? <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a time where, low, where there's low traffic, we've got the space, and it's a niche community, and it's really neat to see. And, and you see those people hanging out outside of the building. Uh, that's the way we can combat. And I don't, want, I don't want to combat people exercising at home. But the way we can combat it from the standpoint of driving traffic into our businesses and into our facilities is encouraging and really trying to develop those mini communities. So, so people are calling each other and saying, hey, you weren't at spinning class today. Are you going to be there tomorrow? And, and those kind of communities develop, and, and they're really neat to see. That's, that's how we can get people excited about recreation and wellness is through that engagement and developing that sense of community. That's what gets me here. (laughs) I don't, I mean, I I like coming up and working out by myself, but I would much prefer to come with a friend or, you know, like when I go to a group fitness class, I'm going to a group fitness class, I'd rather go with somebody I know. Um, And then if I'm going to do like a really, you know, solitary activity such as, you know, swimming. Swimming's not really the greatest activity do with other people because you really can't talk you know right. your head's underwater running running's not really the greatest activity to do with other people because everybody does their own speed right. and those are really the only two things that i will do by myself besides maybe like hiking and that i really don't like to do by myself either mm-hmm. but um i really appreciate yeah the interview this was fun um, I, hope I actually got a lot. Did I give you? Of, did you get everything you needed yeah, for I your got, project? I got a lot of stuff to work with. And just so it's clear, Angus was forced to interview me as part of a class project. Hey, we've done this before, <laughs> just not from the class perspective. Yeah. And Angus is also helping me with a book. Yeah. Should we talk about that, Angus? No. <laughs> that way, the audience will know that we're accountable to each other. Right? Yes, I. Because we both let it slip. Yeah, it's. It's, I have art people helping me. Yeah. That's, it's just, it's, they said they're good. I don't believe them. I don't think they're that good. I'm playing around with white space and taking out stuff and just leaving text with like a small picture versus text with this big background. That looks really bad. And you know where I'm at with it, Angus? Sometimes we just need to let it go and just get it out there and then we, the next iteration, we make it better. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, my parking meter is going to explode. Oh, better. Uh, and I have class in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but again, I really, really do yeah, appreciate it. It's fun. You. And I... We should record all our conversations because we solve I, so many problems every time. I'm actually, like, I wasn't going to record people, but now I'm going to ask everybody if I can record them because that'll be good. Not only for, <laughs> for me, because writing stuff down is somewhat difficult to focus but um it's good just to kind of have that like experience of like oh this is how this went and then like going back listening to it like oh Mm -hmm. this would have been good like learning process you know just that recording Mm -hmm. what should i call this podcast what what would i title this episode uh baby's first interview um 
We're just kidding. <laughs> Bureaucratic around. I think that one needs to go somewhere. <laughs> that might need to be a theme of something else. I might have to do a blog post on that. Oh, jeez. Don't bureaucrat your customers. Yeah, I'm going to bureaucrat you and be like, you know, let me go ask somebody real quick. <laughs> um, oof, oof, oof. This is why I'm not a marketing major. Um, let's see. Maybe like Ron's big picture. Kind of like that. All right. Yeah. Ron's and plan B is bureaucrat is now a verb. Yeah, bureaucrat. <laughs> oh, that's actually a pretty good one. <laughs> bureaucrat is now a verb. I like that one too. I'll let you choose. That's All right. Cool. All right. Thank you, Ron. All right. Have a good time in class. Thank you. It's a three-hour night class. Oh, wow.